So God, we invite you to speak to us through your word. God, we believe that this book that we have in front of us is inspired. It's um, breathed out by you and written down by the hands of men. And so, uh, God, even now we confess that what we're about to read is not from, from, from a man, from a simple human being. It's from you. It's from you. And so it's got power that, 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 that changes us. God, it's like, a, it's like a sword that can divide and, and, and judge even the thoughts and attitudes of our heart like no other book. So God, speak to us. May we hear you in your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, listen, we're, trans, or we're, we're kind of walking through a series called The Crown. The crown, and, and we started this series a, a couple weeks ago on Easter by establishing that Jesus is king. And then last week we talked about God's commitment to bring all of creation under the authority of the crown. And if you missed those messages, they're online at, on video, they're on babyglenn.org on video, they're audio, the, the sermon notes are there, everything. So if you need to catch up, the last two weeks they're available online as are a bunch of the other messages that we've preached over the last couple of years, but today we're going to explore a second implication of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk today about something that we don't talk about very often, and we're going to talk about our minds. We're going to talk about the way that we think, and, and it's fascinating because most of us, if we were pressed, we would say that God's transforming work in our lives, his process of changing us to, to become more like Jesus, is primarily focused on two things. It's focused on our affections, and it's focused on our behavior. And that's true, that God wants to cause us to love him more and love others more. That's our affections. And God wants to make us more like Jesus in our behavior. But we often forget that God also desires to bring our thoughts, our mindset, under the authority of the crown. Now, right from the start here, I'm going to beg you. I don't beg very often, but I'm going to beg you to listen very, very closely this morning. To dial in, especially those of you who are like me and your thinkers. You process the world and you see the world from, from your head. I, I, I tell people all the time that I do have emotions. And a lot of people say, you, no, you, no, you don't, Luke. You don't have emotions. I am that way. I process the world with my head. So for those of you who, who are like me, and even for some of you who are not like me, even if you're a feeling kind of person, I want to beg you, because this is so critical, you have to listen close this morning, because we're just going to start with this bottom line truth. Here's why you got to listen close, because what goes on in your head can prevent you from pursuing what God has put in your heart. What goes on in your head, what happens up here in the attic can prevent you from pursuing the passion that God has put in your heart. This may sound oversimplified to you. It may sound silly to you. Whatever, I don't care. It's true. What happens in your head can prevent you from pursuing what God has put in your heart. Think about it. God has put a vision in your heart. He's put a passion in your heart. For some of you, he's put a passion in your heart for evangelism. 
Some of you, he's put a passion in your heart for serving the poor. For some of you, he's put a passion in your heart for, for creating art for his glory. Or sharing your faith with a friend or family member or reaching the community that you live in. Maybe God has put a desire in your heart to be generous with your finances. Or maybe God has put a desire in your heart to see your marriage restored. Or maybe that passion that God has put in your heart is simply a desire to grow to be more like Jesus. And that passion that he's given you is a biblical passion. It's a Christ-exalting passion. But something happens. Something happens in our brain, and we make excuses for not pursuing God's best. And those excuses tend to start in our brain, in our thoughts. Or, or we don't believe that God can reach someone that's really, really far from him. And that starts in our brain. Anxiety starts in our brain. Discouragement starts in our brain. And those things can become insurmountable challenges when it comes to pursuing God's best in our life. What happens in your brain can prevent you from pursuing what God has put in your heart. So please, please Please listen this morning. Please dial in because it's absolutely critical for you and I to subject even our thoughts to the authority of the crown. To allow the kingdom of God to take over what goes on up top. So we're going to spend our time in Romans chapter 12 today. Just really a couple of verses. So if you have your Bible, you can start turning that way to Romans chapter 12. The scripture is going to be up here on the screen in a minute. But right now I want to set the context. I've heard it said before that if the New Testament is a diamond, Romans is the brightest part. And I love that. I love that because here's what happens. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul systematically and comprehensively lays out what God has done in his kingdom work. And he starts before the beginning of time. And he transitions through creation and then through Israel and then through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he talks about the implications for you and I spiritually. And then he even talks about God's future kingdom. I mean, he lays it out in such a way it's like, what, like you're smart. Like that's unbelievable. Like it's so good. It's so bright. It's such a systematic and comprehensive look at God's kingdom work. And then in chapter 12, Paul makes a transition. In, in chapters 1 through 11, he's laid a theological foundation, and then Paul starts in chapter 12 to, to talk about, he starts talking about what that theological foundation means for you and me. Now that we know this, chapter 1 through 11, we got to do this, and that starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so that's where we'll be, Romans 12, verse 1. It's up here on the screen. Paul writes this, I appeal to you Therefore, come on now, we've talked about this before. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, some of you, like, you're late now. You're late on the therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it? That's exactly right. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, because of God's kingdom work, because of his saving grace, because of his redemption, because of his goodness and mercy, because of his unconditional love, therefore, 
For that reason, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, say it with me, mind, your thoughts, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's what I want to do today. I want to camp out on one phrase. Here it is. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, it is fascinating to me because, remember, we talked about sometimes we think that God wants to transform our affections, and he does, and he wants to transform our behavior, and he does. But we forget about the fact that God wants to transform our mind, our thought patterns, how we think about the world. So it's fascinating to me that after chapters 1 through 11, Paul jumps right to our mind. He wants to address our mind, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word mind is nous in Greek, N-O-U-S, and it means a way or manner of thinking. What Paul is talking about here is logic. He's talking about reason. He's talking about how we process the world with our brains. He's talking about thought patterns. He's not talking about affections or behavior. He's talking about our brain. Not only that, Paul begins verse 2 by encouraging the church at Rome to resist worldly thought patterns, resist conformity to the world. Did you see it? Do not conform to this world. The NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, this is the English Standard Version, ESV, it's the inspired version, don't panic. So the NIV actually helps us to get a little bit better picture of what Paul is saying here because the NIV translates it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So what Paul is saying here is there are thought patterns, there are thought patterns processes that are not from God. They're from the world. Stay away from those. Rather, align your thoughts with God's kingdom values. So, because Paul begins with resisting worldly patterns, let's just talk about a couple of those patterns. Let's talk about a couple of the thought patterns that can happen in our head that are not from God and that are conforming to something that isn't from this book here. The first pattern I want to talk about this morning, the first thought pattern that isn't from God that Paul would say, yeah, that, don't do that. Don't conform to that anymore. Here's the first one. Ready? It's called dead rat thinking. Dead rat thinking. And some of you are going, that's disgusting. I know. But it will help. I promise. Okay. So here's the deal. Pattern number one, dead rat thinking. I'll tell you a story to help you wrap your minds around it. So I I was at a conference recently. Actually, this last week I was at a conference and I I didn't want to stay at a hotel because I'm I'm like super cheap, right? So I called a friend. I said, hey, can I stay in your home while I'm at this conference? They have a vacation home. And and this friend said, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, my husband and I, all the kids, we're gone. We're not there. Feel free to stay in our home. So here we are camped out in my friend's home. And, and they're so generous and so kind, and they have an absolute beautiful home, and I had so much fun, and it was great. But then the last day I'm there, my friend shoots me a text, and she says, hey, would you do me a favor? I said, sure, anything. She let me stay in, my, in, in her home and in, in her family's home for free. I said, would you do me a favor? Um, we set a rat trap. Oh, for the love, right? We set a rat trap in the hutch underneath the stairs. Would you mind checking it? 
It's like, I don't know what it is with people that think like I'm their rat and mouse removal service, but like, this is what happens. Like, like, apparently that's the case. So the last day I'm there, uh, I come down in the morning and, and I'm about to eat breakfast and I think, all right, I gotta, I gotta check this thing. I told my friend I'd do it, I'd check it. So I walk over to the hutch underneath the stairs and I bend down and I can smell it. Yeah, it's gross, isn't it? Yeah. And so I open up the hutch and there it is, a dead rat. And not just a dead rat, like a biggin. Like the size of your purse, ladies. Like it's a big, like it's, it was the size of my shaving kit. You know, it's one of those big rat traps. You know what I'm talking about? It's like it's huge. Now, could you imagine if I just sprayed Febreze on that bad boy? <laughs> Shout my friend a text. I've covered it with a napkin. We're cool, right? Like that's not how that works. I did what any of you would do. I put on a rubber glove. I got in there, I picked up the rat, I put it in a garbage bag, I took it outside, and I put it in the neighbor's trash. I did exactly what you would do. (laughs) Now, you might think that's a gross story, but it illustrates one worldly pattern that Paul doesn't want us to conform to anymore. Some of us are dead rat thinkers. Here's what I mean. No matter how beautiful the rest of your house is, no matter how good your marriage looks or how good your family looks or how great your work is going or how happy you are in other areas of your life, there is still a dead rat under the hutch or in the hutch under the stairs of your mind. And that dead rat is called greed or it's called self-reliance or it's called lust. And it pops up every now and then, doesn't it? It rears its ugly head every now and then, and it causes you to behave in a way that you wouldn't otherwise behave. And you might think to yourself sometimes, look, it's just a little rat. It's just a little thought, but it still stinks. And it's still decaying, and it's still impacting you every day. And that little thought can become a thought pattern, and then that thought pattern can become a behavior. And if you were honest with yourself, you would say, that thought lurks in the back of my mind sometimes, and it prevents me from pursuing the passion that God has put in my heart. Can somebody witness to me? Come on. Like, we get this stuff in our head. And it's called, like, I'm nobody, nobody likes me, I'm going to go eat a worm. It's called, I'm fine without other people in my life. I can do this on my own. And it's a dead rat under the stairs of, of the mind that is, or the, the house that is your mind. And Paul says, Paul, Paul shows up and he says, all right, no, 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 no. We're going to get rid of that rat. No Febreze, no napkin. Let's get rid of that rat. Don't conform any longer. We're going to talk about how to do that this morning. Some of you. Some of you are hamster-on-a-wheel thinkers. You're hamster-on-a-wheel thinkers. I should have warned you before, we're going to talk a lot about rodents this morning. Some of you are like, I have a hamster, that's not a rodent. Please, it's a rodent. I had a guinea pig growing up, it's a rodent. Little little Buffy or whatever your hamster's name is, still still a rodent. Okay, some of you are hamster-on-a-wheel thinkers. Hamster-on-a-wheel thinking is when we get into patterns that we can't get out of. Thought patterns. We aren't going anywhere. We aren't moving forward. But our brain sure is doing a lot of work like a hamster on a wheel. Worriers. Are you not hamster on a wheel thinkers sometimes? There's a lot of stuff going on up here. But worry doesn't do anything, right? 
It doesn't, it doesn't move us forward at all. And it prevents us, does it not, from pursuing the passions that God has put in our heart, from pursuing God's best for us. When I, personally, when I get overwhelmed with activity in my life, I can become a hamster on a wheel. I don't slow down. I don't think about God's goals. I don't think about God's best for me. I'm just a hamster on a wheel. Lots of movement, no progress. And I end up thinking about all the things I could do rather than actually doing anything about them. And what goes on in my head prevents me from pursuing what God has put in my heart. Hamster on a wheel thinkers. Autopilot thinkers. Some of you go on autopilot sometimes. Autopilot thinkers have allowed a thought process to become a subconscious habit. Worst part is, because it's subconscious, we don't even know that it's happening. That we've, we've kind of clicked our brain onto autopilot and engaged in a habitual thought process. And, and this is actually pretty normal. I'm reading a, a New York Times bestseller right now by a guy named Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. Has anybody seen The Power of Habit before? Good. No one. Perfect. This is going to be great for you. It's new. One. Good. Awesome. So it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for like 100 weeks. This guy won a Pulitzer Prize. He's a reporter for the New York Times. I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. And he wrote a book called The Power of Habit. And in this book, Charles Duhigg cites a Duke University research project where a scientist decided she was going to monitor the neurological activity in the brain of a rat. I told you, lots of rodents. Okay, so she decides she's going to monitor the neurological activity in a rat's brain. And so what she did was she put a rat in a very simple maze. And when the rat solved the maze, it was rewarded with chocolate. And the researcher conducted the experiment over and over and over again and monitored the rat's neurological activity. Now check this out. She found... Every time the rat went through the maze, the neurological activity, the rat's neurological activity dropped off just a little bit. Every time. Every time because it became a habit. And by like the hundredth time through the maze, this rat's getting the chocolate at the end, its neurological activity was comparable to what it was when it was sleeping. Totally checked out. Totally on autopilot. Totally habit but it's still going through the motions. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not a rat. I don't engage my brain without knowing it. I don't go on autopilot. Really? Really? You ever sit down at your desk at work, and you think to yourself, I have no idea what just happened on my 45-minute commute. You ever done that before? You ever drive by habit? Or some of you, you, you like surf your phone, on fa- you surf Facebook on your phone for like 30 minutes, and then you get up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's 1.30 in the morning. I just, you know, I've just been surfing my phone for the last. And some of you go, you know what, I never do that, but my spouse does. My spouse totally goes on autopilot, right? We go on autopilot sometimes. And when it comes to our morning routine, like you do the same thing every morning when you wake up and coffee and teeth and, and hopefully and shower and all that stuff, or when it comes to our commute to work or whatever, habits are normal. Thought habits and thought patterns are normal. They're even helpful. But if our brains run to places based on habits, Rather than running to places based on kingdom values, we can get in trouble, can't we? We can waste a ton of time. We can procrastinate. Or we can check out emotionally because we just go on autopilot. And we're not engaged in conversations emotionally. Or we can judge others without even knowing it. And compare ourselves to others and say, oh, that person's lame or that person's this or that person's that. And we don't even realize what's happening because it's become a habit. 
And since autopilot thinkers aren't even aware that it's happening, those habitual thought processes are very, very difficult to break. Now, check this out. This is what I love about God. Isn't it amazing that he knows what's happening in our heads even when we don't? Isn't it amazing that he provides a means to make a change even when we, know, when we don't know that we need one? So, so dead rat thinkers or, or hamster on a wheel thinkers like me sometimes or, or, or autopilot thinkers, what's God's solution for you? What's God's solution for me? What's his solution for those who have been prevented from pursuing what God has put in their hearts because of what goes on in our heads? What is it that we ought to do? Let's go back to our phrase that we're camped out on this morning. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Be different. Think differently. That word be transformed in the original language is metamorpho. Oh, there's not a quiz later. Don't worry about it. But it's the same word that when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he is transfigured before them, same word, metamorpho. He was changed. He was different. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from, and it literally means a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one. Metamorphosis, like a butterfly becoming a caterpillar. You wouldn't say if you saw a butterfly out there, oh wow, look at that caterpillar. It looks really great. It's a butterfly. It's different. It's changed. Metamorphosis. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Morph. Be different. So check this out. Paul is not saying add something to your thinking. He's not saying make some tweaks here and there. He's saying be totally different in form and nature. The other part of that word that's very interesting, be transformed, metamorpho, is that it's a present passive imperative second person plural. So, so here's, what's, here's what's critical. It's passive. It's passive. It's not active. What Paul is saying is that transformation is not something you do. It is something that happens to you and in you, but not by you. You don't do it. We don't do it. God does it. He does the work. God transforms us. He renews our mind. He causes us to think differently. He breaks us out of dead rat thinking. He breaks us out of hamster on a wheel thinking. He breaks us out of autopilot thinking. And he causes us to be different in form and in nature. To see the world with our brains differently than we did before. So wait a minute. If it's God's work, what's my job? If, that's, if, if, if God just does it, what do I just sit and wait? No. We can place ourselves into situations where God can do his transforming work. Because God has chosen now to affect his transforming work, to, to, to cause his transforming power to make us differently. He's chosen to do that in a number of different ways. So our job now, our responsibility in that process of renewal, of that process of metamorphosis, of that process of transformation, is to place ourselves into those situations where God does his work and then just watch him. And we're going to talk about two. It's kind of like a surgeon doing reconstructive work on a body part. You know, like, like if, if you go in and you've got to have some reconstructive work done on your body somewhere, right? You're like you have a burn or something and, and they need to do something that's cosmetic with your body. Like you don't just, you know, you don't do the work. They don't hand you a scalpel and say, all right, now cut here. That's not how that works. 
The surgeon does the work, right? The surgeon does the transformation. The surgeon does the process. But you still got to show up. You still got to put yourself on that operating table. You've got to still put yourself in the hands of the surgeon. The same way with God. God will do the work, but we still got to show up. We still have to show up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish our time this morning. Finish our time this morning. We're going to talk about two ways, two places that we can put ourselves where God's mind-renewing, mind-transforming, brain-changing power is at work. So go back to the text. Look at chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for the first way in which God does his transforming work. In fact, let's, let's start in verse 2. Let's, let's rewind. We'll start in verse 2. Here we go. Do not be conformed. To this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, come on, mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That word sober means not drunk. It's literally what it means. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does act of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's the summary of what Paul just said. He says the, the, the first thing that you can do to, to help God or to, or to submit yourself and surrender to God's transforming power in your life is get engaged with the body of Christ. Use your gifts to serve other people. God's given you some, so put them to use. And allow others to serve you too. In other words, engage in Christian community because Christian community renews our mind. Christian community renews our mind. And I think it's interesting because Paul hints at one of those thought patterns that we can break down when we engage in authentic Christian community. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says this, for by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think, that's a thought pattern, of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Men and women of God, what is the thought pattern that authentic Christian community can dismantle? Pride. Arrogance. Self-reliance. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we engage in Christian community, that can break down that thought pattern of arrogance or pride. And, and look, I just, I, I'll just say this. It may be in my notes somewhere at some point, but if, if so, we'll come back to it. Um, those of you who struggle like I do with pride and arrogance, with independence, with self-reliance, I'm fine, I don't need anybody, I struggle with that sometimes. You know that's, that's typically not dead rat thinking, that's typically not hamster on a wheel thinking, that's typically autopilot thinking. You know why? Because when you worry, you know you worry, right? Or when you lust up here, you know it. But when you're prideful, you don't know it, do you? Sometimes it takes God to whack you over the head. And you know the prideful people in your life, the arrogant people in your life, like everybody knows that they're arrogant except for them? Because they've gone on autopilot. 
And so God comes along and Paul comes along and he says, engage in Christian community because God has given gifts to the body of Christ and we were meant to work together for a greater purpose than what we could accomplish alone. So here's what happens in authentic Christian community. And I'm not talking about like I come to a worship service every now and then. I'm not talking about I do a potluck with my friends every now and then. I'm talking for real Christian community. Like you and I get on the mission together, get on kingdom business together and start impacting our community. Here's what happens. When we use the God-given gifts that we have to move the kingdom of God forward, to serve one another, to get on mission together, all of a sudden these worldly thought patterns start to disintegrate. All of a sudden they just go away. You know why? Because we get ourselves in situations where we go, you know what? I couldn't do this by myself. I need these other people. Or, or for some of you who do the self-deprecating thinking, like, you know, uh, you know nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat a worm. You get in Christian community. Here's what happens with you. You get in Christian community, and everybody goes, wow, you're really good at that. You're outstanding in hospitality. Or, or you're great at exhorting people, or leading, or teaching, or showing gifts of mercy. That's outstanding. And all of a sudden, that thought process of self-deprecation, of nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to get a worm, just starts to disappear and disintegrate because you're engaged in authentic Christian community. Even if you didn't know you had it, it goes away. That's great about God because he knows your brain better than you do. When we engage in Christian community, those worldly thought patterns start to break down. And we're not conformed any longer to the thought patterns of this world, but we're conformed to kingdom thinking. This is one of the reasons I love our staff environment so much here at Bayview Glen. Some of you know this, that I, I led worship for 15 years, even 15 years vocationally, and even more than that as a, as a volunteer before I took this job. So I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing when it comes to leading worship. And then I showed up here, and Melissa's better than me, and I hate it. I hate it. Or I watch Kurt on Sunday morning, I'm like, he's better than me. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, (laughs) you know. It's like the voice of an angel. He's like backlit. You know, it's like, what is that? It looks like a halo. Not really. But I get involved in Christian community, and I watch other people use their gifts. This is what Paul's saying. I watch other people use their gifts. And that, and that arrogance starts to disappear because somebody's better at that than me. Ooh. And all of a sudden, that thought pattern goes away. Or you show up in Christian community, you get with a bunch of friends, like I said, and that self-deprecation, that thought pattern that you're engaged in goes away. That person who's on, the, on autopilot of self-reliance realizes that he or she needs others to accomplish God's greater purpose. That person that's on the hamster wheel of self-deprecation comes to find that they have something to offer the body. That dead rat of shame is taken to the neighbor's garage now because I'm free of my shame when I share it with others, and that can only happen Christian community. Christian community renews our mind, causes us to think differently. Number two, second space that we can put ourselves in to surrender to God's mind-transforming, thought-pattern-changing work in our lives. And we'll close with this. Look back at verse one. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, say it with me, worship. Worship renews our mind. Worship 
renews our mind. It changes the way we think. It changes our patterns. It changes the way we process the world around us. Let me say it this way. Have you ever come into this room distracted in your mind or discouraged in your brain? Maybe you've come into this space for corporate worship and you have felt anxious or stressed. You come here and your mind is racing. You're stuck on a mental hamster wheel and, or you feel like you flipped your brain onto autopilot mode. I know you've done it because I've done it and I'm the pastor. And I come in and my brain's racing, I'm distracted or I'm on autopilot mode. And then all of a sudden you come into this space and somebody sings, all creatures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. And all of a sudden, I get off a hamster wheel for a minute. I slow down and I start to focus on God's kingdom values. Or all of a sudden, I bring that dead rat of shame before God and I just place it before him and I place it in the, in the neighbor's trash. I get rid of it, right? Because God renews my mind when I come before him in humble worship. When I come ready, when I come ready to offer my body as a living sacrifice, ready to worship, I find that my mind, my brain is renewed. I remember that God is exalted on high and I'm not him. I remember that I need other people in the body of Christ. I remember, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And all of a sudden, those thought patterns that I've conformed to start to get broken down. And my mind is renewed as I focus on him. Stress seems to melt when I come before God in humble worship. Or that, that thought process that tells, that self-deprecation thought process, I remember that I'm supremely valuable in the eyes of Jesus because of what he's done for me. I didn't, I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it, but he's called me his own, his prize, his treasure, his son, or his daughter. And all of a sudden, that thought pattern that you've got stuck in that has prevented you from pursuing the passion that God has put in your heart seems to go away when we come before him in humble worship. Men and women of God, when what is going on in your brain prevents you from pursuing what God has put in your heart, turn your eyes to Jesus in worship. Not just here, not just here. In your cubicle, in your classroom. In your car, when the kids are in the back in the car seat and they're throwing stuff, and would you stop touching me? Would you stop touching me? Would you stop, you stop touching me? This is the line. Don't cross over it. And those thought patterns start to take over again. You say, turn your eyes. Shut up. That's how you do that. And you come before him in humble worship. And all of a sudden, worship renews your mind. Let his glory captivate you again and watch those thought patterns just disintegrate as we focus on Jesus together one final thing because here's the deal Here, here's the trick when what's going on in your brain prevents you from pursuing what God has put in your heart we come before him in humble worship we engage in Christian community and we watch those thought patterns disintegrate but I want to show you here, here's the reward here's what I think is so critical here's the reward that God gives us 
Here's the joy that we get on the other side of this mind renewal process. We don't get there until the other side of heaven. It's a process. It's ongoing. It's daily. But as our minds are renewed, look back at what Paul says. Paul says what? When God does his transforming work, when God renews our minds, what does he say? You may discern what is the will of God. In other words, when my mind is renewed, When God does his transforming work in my life, my mind is no longer a barrier that prevents me from pursuing God's best in my life. It's a tool that allows me to discover God's best in my life. I can see the will of God. I can see the purposes of God. I can see the kingdom work of God. And I can see my place in it when my mind is renewed, but not until then. So I have to engage in Christian community. I have to come before him in humble worship to deal with those worldly thought patterns so that I may discern what is the will of God. I have to subject my thought patterns to the crown of Christ and to submit to God's kingdom even up here. Not just my affections, not just my behavior, my thought patterns. I joked a minute ago about singing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, but but we're going to do that. Not just, not just sing that, but do that. In our hearts, together as a body, we're going to focus on him in worship and sing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And my prayer, and even my confident expectation now, because the word of God promises it, that as we worship together, God will continue his mind-renewing process, change those thought patterns, and allow us to see his best for us. Pray with me. God, some of us are stuck. Some of us are stuck in a thought pattern that does not reflect your grace and goodness. Some of us in our brains have convinced ourselves that we don't mean anything to anybody. But you've called us your own. Some of us believe something maybe in our hearts, but but it doesn't make its way up to our heads. And our heads prevent us from seeing, understanding, experiencing, and pursuing that passion that you've put in our hearts. God, some of us are like hamsters on a wheel. A lot of activity and no progress. Some of us still have that one thought, that one, that one thought pattern that's kind of lurking in the back room of our house and just kind of stinking it up a little bit. Some of us, God, have gone on autopilot mode, especially here at, at, at church when we gather together for worship. It's such a temptation when we've been here for a while to kind of go on autopilot mode and, and we forget how good you are and how gracious you are and how kind you are. God, cause us to be different in our minds. Cause us to think differently. Cause us to process the world differently. Break down those old patterns in our community. Break down those old patterns as we serve one another, as we use our gifts. And and even now as we worship you, break them down and renew our minds so that we may see your best for us. And so we turn our eyes to you even now.
stand and sing.